This was a question that I uh, posed to us a few weeks ago. Earlier in this study, I want to come back to the same question yet again. Um, why do we do the things that we do? Why do we do the things that we do, even the good things that we do? Now, you might immediately push back with that question, and your response might well be, well, who cares? I mean, isn't it enough just to do good things? Why does it matter what the motives are? Why does it matter why we do the good things that we do? Isn't it enough just to do good things? My friend, Ethics 101. Ethics 101 challenges us not just on the point of doing the right thing, but doing the right thing for the right reason. And that is what makes a thing actually right and noble and good. So, again, I pose the question, why? Why do we do the good things that we do? A few weeks ago, uh, my wife texted me late in the afternoon, and the text was something like, uh, this is a good Papa Murphy's night. Uh, I know what that means. That's code for it's been a bad day, and she's tired. And so I think, think to myself, well, I'm going to save this day. So I go by Papa Murphy's to get the take-and-bake pizza, and I bring it on home, and I pop it in the oven, and I somehow manage to burn it. At which point the natives are restless, and they are making it clear to me that I have now made a bad thing worse. Now, my response to that response is anger and frustration. Now, I did manage to pull it together in the end. And we salvaged the pizza. We were able to bake it, and no one starved. That's good. But why my response? Why that response? That knee-jerk response of anger and frustration. Because fundamentally, in my heart of hearts, you know what this was, what was really driving me? Why I was doing this? It was not to serve others. It was not for their care. It was that I would be praised. That's what this was about. I didn't get the praise. I'm angry. That's what... You understand? I mean, this is relevant... Why do we do the good things, even, even the good things that we do? Jesus cares about that. Jesus cares about our motives, about why we do the things that we do. And even the spiritual things, even the religious things. In fact, I think a case could be made even especially those things. Why? Why do we do? What's driving it? What's the motives behind that. Well, we need to think about that. He's certainly speaking to it, and we need to think about it. So, if you have your Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we are moving on through this series, slowly but surely, through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 6. If you're trying to find that, that's the first book in the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We are in Matthew, Matthew 6. Uh, roughly thereabouts halfway in the Sermon on the Mount. We are going to read, now we're honing in this morning on verses 16 through 18, but we're going to start earlier, because we need to, because of the flow of the, of, of the teaching. We're going to start in verse 1, read verses 1 through 6, jump then over to verses 16 through 18. Okay? So Matthew 6, 1 to 6, and then 16 to 18. Hear now the Word of God. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Then skipping down to verses 16 through 18, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, we need to pray together. I'm going to read as part of our prayer Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Lord, you have made us, we are hardwired to delight more in you than in anything or anyone else. That is why we are made. We are the most human. We are the most true to ourselves. We are more, most consistent. Our, our integrity is most solid and, and held together and sure and strong. As we are delighting chiefly in you. That said, our eyes are drifting, our tensions drifting, our appetites, our desires are moving all the time. It's all towards all sorts of things. Good things. Good things. They become greater things, too great a thing, obscuring our view of you. Oh, we ask that you would teach us, we pray, how all that is connected uh, to this text here before us. Oh, that in fasting, and what you are teaching us on fasting, and its abiding significance and call, that we would delight in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you may have heard uh, AAA and other experts in the field are, are telling us that this summer is going to be a big summer for road trips. A lot of reasons for that, not the least of which is probably long lines at the airport. But uh, anyway, big year for road trips. Now, road trips and sermon series actually have something in common. It is helpful at times to take a step back and ask yourself where you are uh, to, get, to get your bearing. So, that in mind, where are we? This has been a long stretch uh, and, and will continue to be. We are in Matthew's Gospel. We are in one of the first of five major teaching sections that Matthew records for us in this gospel, oftentimes referred to chapters 5 through 7 as the Sermon on the Mount, taught on a hillside, uh, a mount, I guess you could say, there just in the northern part of Galilee, just west of the Sea of Galilee. Um, in that sermon, in this course of Jesus' teaching here, early on in chapter 5, and what's referred to as the Beatitudes often, uh, Jesus lays out, he sets before us, the distinctiveness of Christian character. 
We looked at that, each one of those in turn, some weeks ago. Uh, so you have Christian character, its distinctives. Then he moves on from there in the image of salt and light, and he talks about Christian influence. He moves from there in chapter 5 on into chapter 6, the depth of Christian righteousness and all that that entails and its wholehearted, whole life obedience to the law. Now, as, he, that, as I said, that continues from chapter 5, flowing on into chapter 6, where we are now, that theme of Christian righteousness does continue, but is a shift in emphasis. It's a shift from what I'll call moral righteousness to religious righteousness, from uh, inner acts and attitudes and the emphasis on those things to outward expressions of devotion to God. And that's where we have uh, been over the last several weeks. When you think about it, that's to be expected. The outer coming forth from the inner. I mean, a, a good tree is meant to bear fruit. And Jesus, as a gardener, I guess we could say, the master horticulturist, is interested in good trees and, and good fruit. And for that reason, then we hear him saying here in verse 1 of chapter 6 these words, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And that sets the tone for everything that you read from verse 2 on through verse 18 of Matthew chapter 6. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been delving into prayer, which is actually the second of the three things that he puts forward that he's speaking of here in terms of this outward form of righteousness. First, he talked about giving to the poor, almsgiving. That's there in verses uh, 2 through 4. Then he begins to speak about prayer. And now, finally, he comes back to the, the, to the main theme, and he's speaking here on fasting. Now, here's the thing that we need to wrestle with. Here's the thing that we need to, to reckon with as 21st century Westerners. Jesus calls us to each one of these things. It's not like the fasting is like a footnote. And it's in some translations and not in others. Or it's, you know, in some spurious text that, you know, scholars are debating whether or not it was actually there. I mean, it's, it's right there. It's plainly there. Jesus clearly calls his followers to give to those in need, to pray, and yes, to fast. The three are held up just as significant, just as important, without you know, any, any qualifications there. He holds these things up as things that are expected and assumed of his followers, and coupled with that, his followers are to do each one of those things giving prayer, fasting, in the right way. In the right way, which is the emphasis of this text here before us. Now, we're looking at fasting this morning for the next few minutes. Um, I, want to look at this, I want to get at this by coming at it with, with two things, say two things about this. First, the background of fasting and our hunger for God. And secondly, then following up there, the two distinct ways that Jesus sets before us in terms of how to observe this and walk in obedience to this command. So first, fasting and our hunger for God, the background to all that. And I think that's important. I, I, I have the sense that I know for myself, even as I was beginning the study this past week, you know, that we need some background here. We need some information. We need some explanation. We need to have a, get a better handle on what does Jesus mean when he speaks on this topic of fasting? I don't know that any of us, or few of us, I'll be charitable, few of us have a real good sense 
as to what that, scripturally speaking, is, is actually about. So let's delve into that. It is oftentimes is the case, a definition is a good place to begin. So I'll start with a very simple definition. It's actually too simple. One way of defining it would be the act of going without food for a certain amount of time. Well, okay, thanks. But that's, that's too simple. It's too truncated. Um, that could pretty much apply to physical fasting, to spiritual fasting, a whole, and, and when you come up with the spiritual side, there are a whole bunch of different religions and worldviews that actually call forth fasting, but mean and emphasize different things with it. So we need a, a better definition. So here's one. And, and John Piper, in his wonderful book, Hunger for God, it, it, it's a good definition that he uses there, so I'm, gonna, I'm stealing it, but I'm giving him credit. A temporary renunciation of something that is in itself good like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God or his work in our lives. Let me read that again. Uh, Piper says, and I think wisely, that fasting can be defined as a temporary renunciation of something good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, like God and his work in our lives. Well, that's a whole lot better than the last definition. That tells you not just what this is, but why this is. And even gives you hints at how, at how, which we're going to get into in just a few minutes. Um, how is this practice? How do we see this on, uh, playing out in the scriptures? Well, you know, if I was to do a sermon series on this, we could really delve into particular texts, but I'm just going to give you an overview, okay? Just for time's sake. Old Testament era, here's what you see regarding fasting. In Moses' day, there was an annual fast commanded of everyone in conjunction with the Day of Atonement. Centuries later, in the time of exile, during those years, there were fasts of remembrance called forth for the people, and other fasts as well. And some of those fasts were still corporate, the whole body called forth for that, but also individual fasts as well. So it's a significant thing that you see for centuries. For centuries, as the historical context takes us from Old Testament era to New Testament era, and Jesus, Jesus, you see in the Gospels, regularly fasting. And that's his practice. And then in his teaching, he just assumes that his followers will do the same. Note, and you may have noted the parallel here in the way this is phrased in verses 16 through 18 on the teaching on fasting. It's, it's, the, the phrasing is how he teaches on uh, the uh, hypocrite's way and the fo his followers' way pertaining to giving and prayer and fasting. Very similar outlines in every one of those chunks of teaching. He does not say, if you pray, if you give, or if you fast, he says, when, when, when. He is assuming that his followers will actually do this. And in actuality, when you go back and you read the book of Acts, and you read through Paul's letters, what you see are his followers doing just that. In the early church, we see this very thing. Okay, well, that said, what is the purpose? What's the driving motivation? What, what's what's what, what's goal? What, what, do they have, what do we have in mind in terms of a theme that we see here uh, in the scriptural text in this overview? Again, this is a you know ten thousand feet looking down, flying over fast. Let me give you some case studies. Four things, four things, four categories, four reasons, four driving motivations 
for fasting, as you see in the Bible, Old and New Testament. Okay, These four things. First, a deliberate doing without that we would then have more to give to others. That's one of the things, one of the, in terms of case studies, that's one of the, the things that you see. A deliberate doing without that we would then have more to give to others. That's one. Two, strengthening our self-control. Getting a better handle on um, directing our appetites and desires rightly. A, a matter of strengthening our resolve and self-control and self-discipline. That's the second one. Thirdly, penitence for past sin. A broken heart, wholeheartedly, whole, the whole person, the whole person expressing soul sorrow for what we have done and how we have broken the heart of our Savior. Coupled with prayer. We see that, that third element there as well. And then fourthly, not just for um, deliberate doing without, not just for strengthening self-control, not just then thirdly uh, dealing with past sin, but also coming up against times of present need. It, it, it might be you know, a reckoning with a, a new and a fresh and a more in a deeper way our dependence upon the Lord in everything. And in the Scriptures, what we see is th this sort of thing, whether it's a need for, maybe there's a decision that we have to make, guidance that we are seeking, the Lord's wisdom in something. And so you see prayer united to fasting. Or it could be spiritual strength, or maybe uh, material supply. And there's, again, there's that sense of leaning into Him all the harder with that sense of dependency and longing for His supply. Uh, that, that's those four things, the case studies. Now in that, you see a, a theme. In those four things, you actually see a thread uniting them all together. And it goes it's something like this. And again, Piper wisely points this out. You see a desire to nourish our hunger for God and to reduce our hunger for the world. To nourish our hunger for God to reduce our hunger for the world. Now that is not saying that the uh, pleasures of this life are evil or bad. That is not the point. Those, uh, many of these things that we're talking about are, are that we, we would set aside in such a time of fasting and self-denial are actually good things given by the hand of a good God who, who longs to supply for us and give to us and, and enrich us. The problem is our desires for those good things can be twisted. And those, as I was, I think I was even praying earlier, those good things become too great a thing, eclipsing our view of Him. So there is this desire that our hunger for Him would grow and our desire for those things would actually be lessened. It is an opportunity, it is, it is, it is an expression. Fasting can be an expression, a demonstration and declaration of this. Lord, you alone are my strength. It's a whole self way of expressing that, of declaring that, of demonstrating that. You alone are my strength. It is a way of declaring, demonstrating that. I would also add this. It is also a heart's way of moving towards being able to say that more heartfeltfully. 
So that's the background, the background of fasting and our hunger for God. Now let me come back to what I just said, emphasize something I just said. And that is that fasting can be not just a, a means of demonstrating and declaring, Lord, you are all I need, chiefly so more than anything else. You alone are my strength. It can also be a heart's means towards getting there, better, more truthfully, more honestly saying that. The reality is, this is, should not come as a surprise for you. The reality is, yes, just as surely as um, our wills and what we do are an expression of our hearts, it is also, here's the paradox, it can also be the case that our hearts can follow expressions and acts of our will. For instance, if you come up to me in the lunch and say, later on today, and you say, you know, this relationship with this other person that I have, we're struggling here, whatever it is, I don't really have any feelings for them or my feelings are entirely negative for them. It's possible my response may be to you, and I don't know, it might depend on the circumstances, but my response to you might be, then here's what I want you to do. Act as if you do have feelings for them. In practical ways, act as though you do have those kind of feelings for them. Act on those hypothetical feelings that you want. And if you're not careful, your feelings may follow. In time, the heart can oftentimes follow the actions and expressions of the will. We know that. We know that. The same applies, it carries over here into fasting. In the way our hearts can work, in the way the Lord can use this as an instrumental means to develop our hunger and adoration and dependence upon Him. So let, let me, okay, in terms of application, times of penitence expressed for past sin. We're just acutely aware. Oh, what have I done? Times where our dependence on Him, we are acutely aware. We're just, we, we're at our, at our end. You just you find yourself saying, I got nothing. My friends, if you're honest, you have to acknowledge it's not a matter of if those times come into your life. It's when. It's when. And our Lord is giving us this means by which to come to Him, united, wedded, tied, yoked, with prayer, fasting. Now some practical suggestions here. Three C's. Practical suggestions. First, care. Do this with care. If you have a medical condition, then do this with care. Be smart. Be commonsensical about this. If, it's, if you've got blood sugar issues, then you need to consult a doctor before you go and like, you know, a 40-day fast or even a four-day fast or whatever it may be. Okay? So first, this ought to be done with care. Secondly, it, it ought to be done in some cases even corporately. Now, I know, I know, I know. We're about to get into the fact that it's to be done secretly. Right. But at the same time, it can be done in conjunction with, a other, with other people. It has to do with the motive. Right? So do it with care. Do it corporately. Do it creatively. Think about when you do it. How long you do it. And consider this. Go back to the definition that we had earlier. It doesn't always have to be food. It can be the denying of, 
setting aside of another thing. My friends, no few of us would do really well to engage in an eye fast. You get my meaning? An eye fast. The electronic gizmos, the media, the screens. Uh, the point being in all of that, we're saying, Lord, would I not be, would we not be enslaved to anyone, anything but you? You. You are my strength. He calls us to these to times of fasting, but oh, that we would do so in the right way, which then takes us to the second point. All right, so Jesus lays these two ways ahead. And again, you probably noted as I was reading earlier, verses 1 through 6 and then 16 to 18, the parallels in how Jesus sets forth these two ways, the way of the hypocrite and the way of his followers. So what do we see? Let's break this down. First, the way of the hypocrite, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. All right, what's going on here? Well, what they're doing is connected to who they are. Jesus describes them as hypocrites. In that time, in that culture, literally what a hypocrite was was a play actor, someone who wore a mask and then performed. Uh, they were pretenders. They did this to be seen on a stage and noticed to be praised and admired. And so that's, that's who they are and it's why they're doing what they're doing in conjunction to fasting. And so the pattern that we see with that is they, in, in this case, Jesus says they, they make themselves gloomy. They make themselves sad. They distort their faces. Literally, they make their faces invisible. That's actually a way you could translate that. And, and, and in that time, in that culture, what, what the Pharisees would do is actually smear their faces with ash and dust. The irony being, how, much, how recognizable are you, depending on how much ash and dust you've smeared? But that's, you know, maybe this points to the, the craziness of, of this. All right, so that's the reason. That's the pattern. What's the result? You get what you want. Paid in full. You want the praise of men. That's what you'll receive. And nothing more. Period. This is Jesus' warning to us. This is the way of the hypocrite. This is his warning to us. Now there is an alternative. The way of the follower of Christ. Verses 17 through 18. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, again, what in this case this person is doing is completely, again, connected to who they are. Who are they? This is a follower of Jesus. And so they are walking in his ways. This is a child of God, a child of the King, adopted, brought into the family, wanting to please Him, but at the same time knowing they are completely secure in His love. And that's why they're doing what they're doing. And so Jesus says, this person anoints the head and washes the face. Now we might think, well, wait, 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 wait. that sounds like they're calling attention to themselves. That sounds like special treatment. Actually, it's not. It's just the opposite. The, in, in that culture, to anoint the head and wash the face, that's just ordinary daily personal hygiene. So what Jesus is saying here is don't do anything, anything to call attention to what you're doing. Don't give anyone any reason to suspect you're fasting. 
And the result of that then is no one will see, no one will know except your Father in heaven who sees and knows everything, including those things that are done in secret, and He will reward you. Why? Not because of your merit, but because of His mercy. Not because of your deserving, but because He desires as a father to richly pour out His blessings upon His children, His sons and daughters. Now you may wonder, well, what sort of reward would this be? Well, think with me. What in the fact of the fasting, what is your chief desire? What are you saying? What are you declaring? What are you demonstrating? Lord, you are my desire. You are all that I need. You are my strength. You are what I want more than anything. And that sort of affection, that sort of heart, is what he'll give you. That's the gift. That's the reward. The very thing you're seeking. Do you see? That's the way of the disciple. That's the invitation held out to us. Now what do we do with this? We need to hear the warning. We need to hear the warning. We dare not be going about doing such things to keep up appearances or for our vanity's sake. That would be to so uh, abominably twist and contort what this is meant for. When you think about it, it's a monstrosity to do that, to, to, to build ourselves up in the sight of man. Now, I know, I know the, pardon the pun, delicious irony that I am preaching this morning on fasting followed by a fellowship lunch. I got that. As a simple application, I would say this is not a time for you to fast. This is a day for you to feast. Don't go through that line without a plate and with a gloomy expression on your face. Well, I'm just trying to apply what he said. No, actually, you're doing just the opposite in that. Okay? This is, today is not a time for fasting. This is a time for feasting. Wrestle with this. Do something with it another day. That would be the first thing. Second is to not just hear the warning, but hear the invitation. Note the precedents. Um, note the patterns that you see here in the text. We've been looking at those. Lay hold of the promises. Look, God so delights. Let me back up. This fasting is a means by which he intends for us to grow in our delight of him. God so delights in us that he has given us that means. You see? Fasting is a means by which we are intended to grow in our delight in him. He so delights in us already, that he is giving us this means, coupled with prayer, to grow in our delight of him. That is really good. That is really good to hear and to know. Again, he calls us to fast, but to do so in the right way. But I want to end with this. All of that said, I think it's still worth asking this question, why do we hesitate here? Let's be honest. You're still not sold on this. But I think that speaks to our hesitations, doesn't it? And I think it, it begs a, a question, why? I mean, again, the text is so plain. And, and most any Bible-believing Christian would say, yeah, we ought to be giving to those in need. Yeah, absolutely. We ought to be spending time in prayer. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, what was the third one? 
fasting. Why? I think some of the 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 some of it has to do with our misconceptions and confusion and what we're talking about here. You know, when you go to a doctor and you have an exam and it's some kind of scan they're going to do or probe or whatever, and, and you have to fast, and some of us associate it with, with that. Or, or maybe that you've studied world religions and you recognize, well, this is one of the pillars of Islam, so should Christians be doing this? Or maybe it's other traditions within Christianity and you're concerned about the abuses that you've seen of this sort of practice. Or, or maybe it's just, frankly, the fact that we as 21st Westerners are terrible at how we have made this disjunction between the fact that we are created with body and spirit and we don't think they have anything to do with each other. Or maybe, maybe we've just somehow bought into this assumption from nowhere that that was for another time and another place. And I would just say that begs another question. So first, what's our hesitation? Here's the follow-up question. What? Where do we get that? It's for another time and, and, and another place. What has really changed? What has really changed so fundamentally that we're just going to take our markers and strike this out of the Sermon on the Mount? Some of you know I'm an Andy Griffith Show fan. And one of the very early episodes... Uh, Andy and Barney take it on themselves to have a class reunion. Okay, And the, the, the thought is, of course, this is going to be a great opportunity to reconnect with, with old friends and maybe, maybe, maybe even rekindle some old flames. Well, it doesn't go quite as planned for Barney. Ramona, oh, Ramona, Ramona has already gotten married, and in fact, she doesn't even remember Barney. It's a tragic moment there in the punchline. And, 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 but Andy, however, Andy has the opportunity to dance long and talk softly to Sharon. And they realize in the course of the soft music and going out in the garden and all of that, oh, there is a spark still here, but they also begin to realize what it was that separated them years before. Sharon loves the big city, Chicago, I think it was. Andy Mayberry. For, for, for all that was different, nothing had changed. For all that was different, nothing had changed. And it's like that with people, oftentimes, and the Lord's call on us as his followers. For all that is different, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Press and think about Jesus' own pattern, Jesus' own practice, and the in key turning points in his ministry. When he, he had... Decisions of great import there before him. Or he was under great pressure and underrest. Or maybe on the flip side, he just experienced some great success, if you will. We see him in need of fasting. Or as one author I read this past week put it, Jesus gains strength through fasting. Okay. Here's the sinless Son of God. God incarnate, gaining strength through fasting. How much more us? I mean, again, what has changed? What has changed? Far less than we think. He calls his followers still today to fast, to do so in the right way, and to fast.
Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that we are very inconsistent in our practice. Again, uh, no few of us here this morning would attest to, yes, we are to give and to give generously towards those in need, just as you have given to us. And yes, we are to pray and uh, take special moments to do that, individually, corporately, daily, in, in, in special times, special seasons, all of that. But Lord, we confess that we are hardly consistent here because it's as though we've taken white out or a marker to our Bibles on passages like this. We ask that you would take these words and make them a challenge to us because they are for your followers and at the same time make them a comfort to us because they are for your followers. You want us to grow in our hunger and longing and desire for you and if you've given us this means by which to do it and we ask that you would help us to grow in this. Teach us, we pray. Make us your followers, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, we are now going to continue in our worship service.